Wow, thank you for the choir and wonderful music today. I appreciate them so much. And also mention a moment, some of you, most of you probably know, but some of you probably wondered who's the woman up here on the platform. And uh, I'm excited that this, this is, uh, some of you do know, this is my wife, uh, the Reverend Griffin Ryan, and she is an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA. And uh, for the first while we've been in Danville, she has been serving at First Christian Church in Danville and has recently left there, and so she's going to be with us sometimes, and I'm thankful that she was able to come and share with us and lead worship today. Today we're going to turn in God's Word to the book of First Corinthians. First Corinthians is the longest of uh, the letters that Paul sent. Those letters make up much of the what we call the New Testament. So today we're going to turn to the very beginning of First Corinthians in the very first chapter, verses 10 through 18. Will you hear this, the word of the living God? Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to proclaim the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Let us pray. And now come, now come, O God, and speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. For we need a word in divided times, in divisive times. And we need that word not to come from any person, but from your Holy Spirit, For if your Holy Spirit speaks, Lord, nothing else matters. But if your Holy Spirit does not speak, Lord, nothing else matters. And so speak to us, Lord, we pray, for we, your children, are listening. And Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our strength, and through Christ you are our salvation. Amen. I gotta admit, I've spent... A little bit of time, maybe more than a little bit of time, watching the impeachment trial this week. I thought I'd just let that out of the bag right now. You're all thinking about it. That's fine. Some of you are kind of disappointed right now. You're like, I was really hoping that church would be the one place we wouldn't talk about it. I need a break. Help. 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 Um, But here we are. Here we are. And I suspect many of you have your own opinions on the impeachment and the trial. I say that because I saw I was shocked this week that only 4% of Americans don't have an opinion whether Donald Trump should be removed from office or not removed. 
I think they could even ask Patty Rowland's question about ice cream and we'd get four, more than 4% undecided. And so we're all there. And I look around and I know some of you in here, you feel the impeachment's a long time coming. He's a crook and a con man and it needs to catch up with him. And some of you believe that this trial's an enormous and boring waste of time. That it's a hoax and uh, that it needs to be done away with. So, so I know there are people on both sides. And that's what's interesting about our church is we have people on both sides of the political aisle in this church. And the truth is that we live in times where that can be very divisive. I suspect many of you don't really want to hear about it in church because you're like, this has a tendency to pull people apart, doesn't it? You know, last uh, winter, last uh, fall and winter on, uh, I guess it's still winter, uh, sure felt like it a couple days ago, Um, but never mind, Uh, before the holidays, there were a lot of articles on like social media, Facebook, Twitter, a little bit on Instagram, and it was kind of how to survive the holidays with your fill-in-the-blank relatives, your conservative relatives, your progressive liberal relatives. Uh, You know, what do you do? How do you deal with that? And I suspect many of you have had that question. How do you deal with it? It's that one person, isn't it? That one person that you just, you're, you just don't want the conversation to go there for fear something will happen. Some of you in here are that person. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying, we're just going to name it right now. And when we see this and it's like, you know, we're going to ruin Thanksgiving, we're going to ruin Christmas, and now we're going to ruin church. We're going to talk about this, but the truth is we live in divided times. And some of us may even say, hey, it feels more divided now than ever. But the truth is being divided is not new. And being divided over politics, you know, and sometimes we even get divided over theology You've heard about that in the United Methodist Church, right? There are people who feel maybe the best thing to do is we split and go separate ways. I don't have much to say about that other than to say that I know many of you have come and talked to me and Pastor Chris about that. As I told the first service, uh, that if you'd like to talk more about that, Pastor Chris would love to talk to you. (laughs) So, and then let's talk about sports teams, right? Um, we'll just get right into it. You know, many of many many in here are we're Kentucky fans, uh, and you know we say, well, how could anyone be a Louisville fan or a Tennessee fan? God help them. <laughs> First service, someone said, you know, someone gets up and they're a Florida fan. You know, there are people in this church even that are Louisville fans and Tennessee fans. Did you know it? And you know, all these ways when we can name, we can just keep naming ways that we are divided. You know, ways we get angry with each other, ways that we are threatening to break relationships over politics, theology, sports, Um, whether you live in the city of Danville or out in the county, school district, so many things. But the truth is, it's nothing new. 1 Corinthians, I love 1 Corinthians. I love the book of Acts too. We like to, we, if you ever read the book of Acts, you see in those first at least four chapters, they're all together and they're all just in love with Jesus and in love with one another. It says they spend all their time together, they eat all their meals together. But by 1 Corinthians, things have gotten real. Seriously, read 1 Corinthians today. They're arguing, 
they're divided. Paul says, well, there's probably at least four factions in the Corinthian church that Paul highlights, right? The, the Paul faction, the Cephas or Peter faction, the Apollos faction, and then one faction who I'm sure might have been the most insufferable of all said, no, we're the Jesus faction. I don't know. But it was a division, and the truth is, they were divided then, and you read through the book, you know, what they, they lived in a culture where, they, where uh, they were divided socioeconomically, the rich associated with the rich, and the poor associated with the poor, and the poor uh, deferred to the rich. And that's how they, they thought, well, that's a great way to run a church, too. They made their church look like the world around them. And you know, there's a fear that we can make the church look like the world around us. We can be just as divided, just as angry, just as conflicted as anyone on MSNBC or Fox News. Why? Because we have said that that's just the way it is. That's our nature. That is our fallen human nature. We want to be around people like us, and we want to have people agree with us. You know, I thought this sermon could be really short. I have an exact answer for how we could all be united as a church. You could just all agree with me. I think that's a great plan, personally. My wife does not, on the other hand. Right? So you're like, gee whiz, this is difficult. And so what does Paul say? You know, there's a lot of things we could say. We could say, hey, you know, um, the secret to getting along is we just have to accept each other's uh, views, and uh, we just, you know, you live your truth, I'll live my truth, and uh, no one will be right and no one will be wrong. And that's really tempting, but that's not the unity the Bible talks about. Because when you look at 1 Corinthians, he doesn't say, well, you know, just, who, just do whatever you all want. In fact, later in 1 Corinthians, you read in it, he, he is very clear that there are things that are right and things that are wrong. So that's not the answer. And the answer isn't necessarily that you all need to agree with me, as much fun as that would be. But when Paul speaks to the Corinthians, he says the answer has to do with the cross. Not with any of the externals, not with any of the things, even as important and as meaningful and as holy as baptism and sacraments are, he says what really matters is this gospel that consists of this outrageous claim that Jesus, who was once crucified, is Lord. It's foolishness, isn't it? I mean, it's not just foolishness because in Jesus, in in the days, in the Greco-Roman culture that they lived in in Corinth, if you were looking for someone to be your religious leader, you would want someone who is strong and powerful and mighty, who commands armies, who speaks brilliant words that move hearts and minds. He triumphs. He's in control. But these early Christians, they dared to say that the one they called Lord and Savior was a criminal beaten and killed on the cross. And it was outrageous. It was scandalous. Why would you follow someone who's a loser? That's what the people around them said. It's utter foolishness. 
And Paul tells them, you know what? It does sound crazy. It's all crazy. But you know what? For those of us who have experienced, for those of us who Jesus has shown up alive, for those of us who are being saved, somehow, in some crazy way, it is the power of God. That's Paul's testimony. And I thought to myself, and and all week I have been trying to get around this. I've been thinking about these divisions. I've been thinking about this. And and I'm trying to give you a good answer for how you can practice, how you can make it through your next family gathering uh, without threats of violence. And the truth is, it's just foolish. This idea that somehow the cross might not just make a difference. We think, oh, the cross, it makes a difference. It pays our debt for our sins so we can go to heaven, and that is true. But what if Paul is telling us that the cross of Jesus doesn't just get us to heaven, but it makes a difference here on earth? What if it makes a difference here on earth? What, what if the cross is God's way to look at a troubled and broken world and to restore it? What if it is God's way of looking and judging a world that is held in bondages to the powers of sin that push us apart? You know they push us apart, right? Right? After all, Adam and Eve, at the very beginning, they were bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and sin enters the world, and suddenly it's that woman you gave me. Division. The first division, the result of sin. This week, we celebrated a holiday of the life of Martin Luther King, Jr., Many of you, I'm sure everyone in here, you've heard of him, the great civil rights leader of the last century. What what many people don't know about him is he was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the Reverend because he was an ordained Baptist minister and doctor, not a medical doctor, but he had a Ph.D. in systematic theology from one of our United Methodist seminaries. And Dr. King, everything he did in the civil rights movement grew not out, grew out of his conviction about what God has done. He talked about the cross. Dr. King talked about the cross, and he said the cross was God's way of saying no to segregation and yes to integration, no to the alienation between blacks and whites, and yes to their reconciliation. He also said the cross is the eternal expression of the length to which God is willing to go to restore broken communities. You see, the cross is God's statement to a broken and divided world that says it does not have to be this way. That God does not desire us to be divided but be brought together. And so what can we do? How can we, how, how could this cross, how could Jesus' death on the cross, how could his being raised three days later to newness of life to walk out of that tomb and proclaim a new world, a resurrected world, how could that actually make a difference? What if that means, that what if one way we could do it, and this may sound like foolishness, is that we can flip the script on our relationship between our positions, and God. 
See, I think a lot of us, and I'm guilty of this too, we come to our own positions by maybe how we were raised, what media we consume. Yeah, mm mm-hmm, we're not gonna talk about that much more. You know, what TV channels we watch, what uh, Facebook we click on. We, We are influenced by those, by those things. And then what we do is it's a little like the prayer at Thanksgiving dinner. We come, you know, you pay attention to what we do at Thanksgiving dinner. We pray, we say, God, we are about to eat Thanksgiving dinner. Bless us as we do it. Amen. Now, if I'm praying, it'll be three minutes, but you get the point. And sometimes we do that with those positions too. We say, hey, God, I have these great positions. Bless us as we do them. Don't we do that? Oh, I know, right? You know, it's like uh, President Lincoln was on to something during the Civil War when they said, um, do you pray that God is on the Union side? And Lincoln said, no, I pray that we are on God's side. That's what flipping the script looks like. That instead of saying, well, I'm going to bring my positions and then, God, I want you to bless them. What if we flip the script and we said, Jesus, what about you? Have we ever thought, what does Jesus want? You know, that's tricky because I get about 20 or 25 minutes with you on Sunday and then we're going to go home and we're going to watch uh, cable news all week and, and, and they're going to give you another idea of what it is to be a Christian and what you ought to believe. But my question is, do we go to the source? Do we go to Jesus himself? Not what we learned 40 years ago, but do we look in his word every day? Do we pray? Do we seek? What would it look like? if we actually followed him in the words of the gospel, he says in the gospel of Matthew, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, God has given us ways that we can seek him. It's no accident that on things like this that Jesus comes to proclaim something called the kingdom of God, that there is a a world, there is a realm in which God is in charge and God's will goes and to be part of the kingdom of God here on earth is to align ourselves with that rule today. Not to ask God to align with us, but for us to align with him. And the good news today is is that because this world has been judged and there is this new resurrection, judged on the cross, and there's this new resurrection life, in this moment, we can seek him. In this moment, we can seek the kingdom of God. Because you see, the problem is these divisions, I would love to know how many of you these divisions make you happy. How many of these, these divisions make you holy? How many of you, these divisions help build relationships? The truth is they don't. But when we seek him, then we can build up our lives and build up relationships. When we seek him as a church, all the struggles and troubles of our denomination, we can weather that storm together. You know, that's what I love. I was thinking after, the, I didn't include this in the first service. This is free for you. That's what, makes, that's what makes this, I always think, what makes this church so great? One of the things that makes Centenary a great church is that we're committed to seeking what God wants as a church. And we're willing to say, you know, that may not be what I want, but if that's what God wants, that's what we're gonna do. 
It's made a difference in this church since 1783. That seeking God's will has allowed us to have this beautiful campus, this great place that God has given us. That was part of the vision of God. And we were able to seek that together. And so you see, in these troubled times, there is the grace of seeking God that is available to you. And that the world the way it is isn't the world the way the way the world has to be because God has judged it on the cross and opened up a new resurrection life. So folks, it's good news this morning. The world may be struggling, but we have a way if we will seek him, seek his kingdom, and seek his will. So will you do it this week? Let's pray.